Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Uh, I'm going to jump right in tonight. Um, I've entitled this this little talk, Hidden Fees. Turn to your neighbor and say, Hidden Fees. Is there anything worse than hidden fees? No. Thank you. There's nothing worse than hidden fees. There's nothing worse than thinking that you got an amazing deal on something to then get home and realize you didn't get a good deal at all. There was actually some hidden fees in there or it was actually marked up and you didn't realize it and you actually paid Full value. Or have you ever had it happen where you thought that you were just paying fair value for something and then you realize you actually got overcharged? Like it was ridiculous. My wife, my wife loves to, to coupon and she loves to get deals and, and uh, we don't pay full price for anything in our household. And, um, you know, there, there are times where I will think that I got such a good deal on something and I'm so proud to show my wife, look at this receipt. Look at how your boy destroyed this store right now. And my wife has this six-sense ninja ability to look at a receipt, and within a second, she says, you didn't get a good deal. There's some times where she's like, you should go return that. I'm like, babe, I'm not doing that. She's like, you should go return it. She just has this, this way of like Rain Man style computing the numbers to be like, nope, nope, they, they actually, they got you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then it usually ends, ends in an argument or something. They, she, she's just amazing at, at being able to, to dissect a price and, and somehow just has this awareness of what things should cost. All things, all things should cost. Somehow she, she knows. But, but she is, she's a stickler. She does not want to get taken advantage of. She wants to get a good deal on everything. As a matter of fact, we were, uh, we were out to lunch a couple of weeks ago and... Um, we went to this restaurant that had a lunch special. You could get 20% off your bill. So my wife was, my wife was stoked. Right? It didn't even matter how good the food was. We were getting 20% off the bill. So as we're sitting there and, and we're having a nice lunch, we're, we're, we're able to finally spend a couple hours together. Um, our, our, our waitress, sweetheart of a girl, she comes up and, and she takes our order. And my wife orders something. She said, oh, you know, if, if you order that off the lunch menu, you actually save a dollar. So my wife is like, okay, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll save the dollar. So I'm like, that girl's nice. You know, she was small talking with us the whole time. She was, you know, just, just, a, just a sweetheart of a girl. Well, anyways, we, we go through our lunch, and, and the bill comes, and there's no 20% off the bill. So immediately my stomach's in knots because I'm like, my wife's going to be ticked. So I say, um... The bill came. She said, is the 20% off? I said, no, the 20% is not off. She said, okay, I got to go to the restroom. Make sure you get the 20% off when the waitress comes back. So I said, okay, sure thing. So, <laughs> so Faith went to the bathroom. The waitress comes back. I said, hey, miss, um, I think you forgot to do the 20%. You know, it's right here on the table. It says 20% off. She said, oh, no, this sweetheart of a girl. She said, oh, no, you guys did the lunch special. If you do the lunch special, you can't do the 20%. I said, girl, if you know what's best for you, you better run because my wife is about to come out of the bathroom. So long story short, I didn't want a conference. I didn't want a scene. I paid the bill before my wife got out, and then my wife came out, and, and she said, did you get 20%? And I said, hey, let's go out to the car. We need to head out to the car. And we get out to the car. She said, did you get 20% off? I said, no. What had happened was, you know, we got the lunch special. And she said, what? Are you? That girl saved us a dollar so that our bill will be $10 more so she get a bigger tip. 
And I said, you're right. We got taken advantage of, sweetheart, and I'm sorry. And Faith said, you go distract her. I'm going to sneak up from behind her. We're going to shank her, and we're going to tell her never to mess with her again. She didn't go that far, but she was mad. It kind of like ruined our afternoon a little bit. But, but there's just something about hidden fees when you feel like you got taken advantage of, that it is a terrible feeling, absolutely terrible feeling. When I was, uh, this is probably going back about, about eight years ago, I was at a point in life where we were young, we were married, we were both working full time, and uh, we didn't have kids yet, and I, I just felt, I said, you know, this is a season of life we need to enjoy. Like, there, there are plenty of, of years ahead where we need to have a family vehicle. Right now, we need to have something fun to drive. We need to be able to enjoy ourselves. Now, after we had gotten married, um, we had saved up some money, and we had a connection to go to a car auction to buy something in cash. And, and I had decided with my wife we were going to get some sort of four-door sedan that would make sense, you know, as a family vehicle. And, you know, it was the craziest thing just happened when I was there. I saw this electric blue Mazda RX-8 two-door sports car, and I just kind of got a really good deal on it, and I bought it. And then the first winter happened, and because it was front-wheel drive, we literally got stuck in a, a perfectly level driveway. I couldn't get my car out of a perfectly level driveway. And I said, this is not practical. So we got into a practical car. I had that for a couple of years, and then I started to get that itch again. Like, we need to, we should just take advantage and get, get something fun. Well, there was this car that I always loved, the Subaru WRX. I don't know if anyone in here knows what that is. Amazing, amazing car. I loved it because growing up, I had a buddy whose older brother had one, and we used to ride in it all the time, and I just... As a, as a little kid, I just felt like it was so cool to ride in that car. So I was like, man, it'd be awesome to get one of those. Now, this is the amazing thing about that car. This car is ridiculously fast. It's turbocharged, had like almost 300 horsepower, 0 to 16 less than 5 seconds. But I had learned my lesson. This was all-wheel drive. This was four doors. This car retained its value so well because they would only make a limited number of them. So in order to get this car, you'd have to go on a waiting list for three months just to be able to purchase one of these vehicles. And so it checked all the boxes. I was like, God must want us to have this. This just makes way too much sense. We should get a WRX. And so I had started to, you know, go to some dealerships and put some feelers out. And everywhere you go, there's a huge waiting list. Well, I, I happened to go into one dealership and, and I was talking to the salesman and sweetheart of a guy. And he... Um, he began to tell me, you're in luck. You know, I have one right now, and I'm not going to tell anybody else, but I'm going to let you skip the whole line. And, and we're going to, we could get you into one this weekend. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Like, I knew I was supposed to come in here. So anyways, I'm so excited about this. And the one minor hiccup in this whole ordeal is that my father-in-law has been in the car business for 30-something years with Ford. So buying a Subaru, I was really nervous to tell my, my father-in-law. So I built up the courage to have this conversation with my father-in-law before I purchased it. And I said, hey, uh, Dad, I, I, I really feel like this car makes sense for us in so many ways. And, and, you know, Ford doesn't really have anything that fits into this category. It just it makes, it makes sense. And he was really cool about it. But the only thing he said was, do me a favor. Just get me a copy of the contract so I can look it over and make sure you guys are getting a good deal. I was like, oh, thank you. In my head, I was like, I don't want to show you the contract. In my head, I was like, there's a three-month waiting list for this car, and I can get one right now. And I'm like, I, I, in my head, again, I would never say this out loud, but in my head, I'm like, I appreciate the offer, but I kind of didn't even really want to know what was in the contract. I just wanted the car. 
The car was, it was everything that I thought I wanted. It was, it just was so nice to the eye. I just, I could picture me and Faith cruising down the LIE in this house. I was like, this is us. But it was my father-in-law. I couldn't say no. So I got a copy of the contract and, and begrudgingly, I, I bring it to my father-in-law. And as, as my father-in-law starts to go through this contract, he's like, oh, it's interesting. What's this fee? I was like, I don't know. He's like, yeah, me neither. I was like, oof, that's not a good start. I remember him pointing out one. He goes, what's the, um, what's the $1,500 cleaning and prep fee? I was like, I don't know. He's like, it's a new car. What are they cleaning? I was like, that's a good point. I never really thought of that. And so we continue to go through this contract. And, and, and as bad as I wanted the car, as my eyes started to be opened of all of these hidden fees in this contract, I started to realize as bad as I want this, this really is not a smart decision. As much as in the moment, I feel like I need this car. I want it so bad. It's not like I just desire it anymore. It has now moved into the category of need. As much as I need this vehicle in my life right now, this probably does not make the most financial sense. And so he, he, he talked us out of it, and, and we passed on it. And the, the happy ending to the story, a few months later, by chance, one of the face relatives ends up getting a job at a different Subaru dealership. I ended up getting the exact car I wanted in the exact color, better package, lower price. It was amazing. And I was so thankful that I didn't just settle the first time for, for what looked like a good deal. I was so thankful that I had somebody in my life who knew what they were talking about, who had been around the block before, who could see the big picture, who wasn't caught up in what I was caught up with, who was able to speak common sense and, and say, this is not right for you. This, this, this doesn't make sense for you. And as hard as it was in the moment to walk away from the thing that looked like it was everything that I wanted, it was what was best for me. This is the reality. In, in life, there are things that we sometimes desire for so long or we want so bad that they move from the category of desire to a category of a perceived need. I, I need this. Like, I need this to be happy. I need this to happen. I need this break. I need this promotion. I need this relationship. I, I need all of these things. And, and too many times in life, we make a decision based on something that looks like it would be good. And then we end up realizing weeks, months, years later that there were a ton of hidden fees attached. There was a quote that I grew up hearing from my dad that said, when you settle in sin, you pay the highest price for the lowest way of living. The enemy is, is masterful and making things look a certain way that if you just make decisions based on what you see, he can get you to sign your life onto something that has all, all kinds of hidden fees attached. Just like we talked about a couple of weeks ago and, and, and lean into it, you know, we believe that as believers, we don't walk by sight anymore. We walk by faith. That, that now when, when I've given my life to God, that I'm not at the mercy of what I see. And so I want to read you a story tonight in Genesis of somebody who, who made a decision based on what they saw. And, and I want to, it's a really sad story. I want to look at all the hidden fees that you end up seeing uh, tacked on at the end. We're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 13. You can follow along in your Bible, your phone, or you can follow us on the screen. But we're going to start in verse 1. And it says this, it says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. 
There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. Quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in land at the time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders or mine, for we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Kind of a crazy, crazy story. You have this uncle and, and his nephew, and it's, it's kind of cool in the fact that they both had so much wealth, so many possessions. Their family was so great that the land wasn't big enough. But you see Abram making this extremely selfless decision to leave first choice up to Lot, up to his nephew. I mean, Abram was older at the time. He, everyone would have expected for him to get first choice, but he gives first choice to Lot. And Lot's kind of in a precarious situation because, you know, it's one of those things where when somebody asks you to pick and you know what the better option is, do you actually take the better option for yourself or do you, you know, he's kind of in a precarious situation. But what Lot ends up doing is he ends up picking the, the land that looks fertile for himself, the whole land, leaving Abram with the less desirable piece of land. We, we as we're closing out this story, uh, this chapter, you see that that the author makes it a point to say that the land that Lot chose, even though it looked fertile and it was well-watered, was near Sodom. And Sodom was a city that had a reputation that was known for its sinfulness, for its wickedness. And it makes a point to say that even when Lot chose that land for himself, that he sent his head up near Sodom. Near this place that just had a vile reputation. You end the chapter talking about Abram you know, um, building this altar to the Lord. Well, when you start to read the next chapter, you see that there was a transition that happened, that that Lot's tent is no longer near Sodom. Lot is actually living in Sodom. And as Lot has now made the the transition from from living near the wickedness to living in the wickedness, you you start to read that surrounding cities, uh, there, there began this conflict and the enemy came in and, and invaded, and they took Lot, they took his, his family, and all of his possessions captive. What an incredible picture of when you flirt around sin long enough, you begin to engage in it, and before you know it, you're the captive. And as he's, him and his possessions and his family are all in captivity, his uncle, Abram, who's serving the Lord, who's being obedient to the Lord, he gets word. And so immediately, 
He assembles all the soldiers that he has. They march in, they wipe out the enemy, and they rescue Lot and his family and his possessions. Incredible story. For the next few chapters, you don't hear about Lot. You start to read about what's going on in Abram's life and with his wife, and, and you, you start to hear some promises that God has for Abram and his family and, and all of these things, but you don't pick up Lot again until chapter 19. In chapter 19, all of a sudden you see that Lot and his family have returned to Sodom. When the story picks back up with him, he's right back living in Sodom. And you start to, to read that God gives Abram a heads up. He says, I'm going to destroy that city. That city is, there. there are, it's, it's absolute wickedness. The, the sin is out of control there. I'm going to destroy the city. And, and, and Abram is pleading with God to, to, to spare his family and to spare those that are righteous in the city. And so God, in all of his mercy, he, he sends two angels down to Lot. You start to read that as these angels, they're giving Lot a heads up about what they're going to do. Lot is trying to warn people. Nobody's listening to him. As Lot himself is also living in Sodom, nobody is taking his word as if it is worth anything. Even his own son-in-laws, they don't believe him. They think he's joking. They, they think it's ridiculous what he's saying. You see that Lot's trying to convince him they're not listening. The next morning, the angels, they say to Lot, we're not playing. This is about to happen. You need to take this serious. And you, you see the scripture that literally says, even after they warned him again, that Lot lingered. That Lot lingered. Lot had become so comfortable living amongst that, that, that he even lingered when these angels of the Lord were warning him. In all of God's mercy, these angels are like, all right, you're not going to listen. They physically pick Lot and his wife and his daughters up to escape from the city. They literally pick them up to flee from the city. And, and they say to Lot, you're going to go and you're going to live in these hills. And Lot says, oh, I really don't want to live in those hills. Is it okay if I go live in the city? And they're like, fine, you can go live in that other city. They say, but do not turn around. Do not look at what's about to happen. And so as they're fleeing... Lot's wife decides to turn back and take a second look at what they were leaving, and she struck dead in the moment. And you finish this story with Lot of reading that he ends up living in a cave with his daughters. It, it is such a sad story when you think that just a number of years later, he was in a position with his uncle where they, had, they both had so much that they had to split up because God's blessing was so much on their family to fast forward after he just made some decisions that, that he's now living in a cave without most of his family, with no possessions. It's, it's so sad. You look at, at, at what it really costs Lot, it, it costs Lot his credibility. I mean, as, as a man, I'm sure that that ate inside of him that as he's speaking his word and people weren't listening to him, I would imagine that that was a little bit of a wake-up call that, that these people are like, you're, you're warning us. You're, you're, you're right here living too. You're, you're, you're amongst us as well. His own son-in-laws didn't believe his word. Lot, one of the hidden feeds attached, he completely lost his credibility with the people around him, even his family. When, when we settle in sin, when we begin to make decisions based just on what we can see and what we think looks good, you will at some point begin to lose your credibility when you just grow comfortable with settling in sin. Not only does he lose his, 
his credibility, he loses all of his possessions. And you see a stark difference from Abram who's, who's living with the Lord and, and, and he's trying to be obedient to the Lord. And, and you're always reading that Abram is setting up tents and he's camping out. And I think it's really telling that, that Lot, who's so much younger than him, it seems to, to, to look like he got to a point where he was done living in tents. I want to live in the city. Even when the angels are trying to save him and his family's life, he was more concerned about his own physical comfort. I don't want to live in the hills. Let me, let me live in one of the cities. This, this guy who cared so much about what he had, what he had accrued, the comfort that he was used to living in, loses it all and ends up living in a cave. Not only does he lose all of his possessions, it also cost him his sensitivity to the voice of God. I mean, it, it, it's so telling that you see this transition and we can see it in our own lives and in people that we know where, where you know, you start to make some little compromises, where you start to, to hang around things you shouldn't really hang around or you're a little too close to some things that you just begin to, your sensitivity just is a little, it gets a little dull and it gets a little worn down to, to where you begin to entertain things that normally you wouldn't entertain. And, and if you entertain it long enough, then you begin to engage in it. And then once you start to engage in it, you begin to get used to it. And then the very thing that you were nervous to try now is where you, you settled in and it's just part of your habit and it's part of your routine. And, and, and through this series of him just continually making more and more compromises, he loses his sensitivity to, to God's voice to the point where even when his whole family is in captivity and God strengthens Abram and these soldiers to go rescue him, he goes right back to the very thing that got him there to begin with. And even when he's there and God sends angels to give him a word to say, you all are going to die if you stay here, he lingers. He lingers. He doesn't move. And, and, and if those three things aren't costly enough, he loses his family. I mean, it ends up costing him his wife's life. It ends up costing him his, his son-in-laws and, and the relationships with, with, with the people that he had. It, he lost everything. There's a quote that says that, that sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it'll always cost you more than you wanted to pay. Let me tell you something. I, I, I believe with all my heart that if, if somebody were to rewind the tape and you were to go back to Lot when he was making the decision of where to set up camp, what, what piece of land to choose, and you were to show him, look at what it's going to cost you. Look at the fees that are attached. The enemy's not going to show you this, but, but if you make this decision outside of what God wants, look at what it's going to cost you. Do you believe that Lot would have chosen differently? I do. I believe like so many of us in this room who have gotten ourselves into some really terrible situations, I believe that if somebody could rewind the tape and they could go before you and they could show you what it's going to cost you, that we would probably make different decisions. But here's the reality. Lot couldn't see the future. You and I can't see the future. But God can. God can. The Holy Spirit knows the future. And so just like we talked about a couple weeks ago about the importance of not leaning on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, in every decision, in every moment, at every opportunity, make sure that you are acknowledging the voice of the Lord because he wants to speak to you. He wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. Doesn't it seem so foolish to ever make a decision in life without him? 
Yeah, you could not have seen it coming, but he does. But he does. Where did, where did Lot go wrong? Where do you and I go wrong? The, the bottom line tonight, the, the, the only point that I have for you, the, the, the one thing that I want to stick out in your head is that sinful decisions can be traced back to faithless decisions. Sinful decisions can be traced back to faithless decisions. So many times when I meet with people and, 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 and they're ashamed about a moment, they're ashamed about something that happened. I'm like, yeah, that was a bad decision, but, but if you could look at all the little decisions that actually put you in the position to make that really bad decision, that's where you went wrong. It was a bad decision, but it's your decision-making process that's flawed. It's your decision-making process to be comfortable with even picking a place that is close to that. And then, and then being willing to set up shop near it. And then getting to the point where you're not just near it, you're, you're starting to live in it. And then getting to the point where even when it's costing you things, even when it's costing you your marriage or your kids or, or, or your job or, or whatever it is, your health, you're still going back to it. Even if you know you're held captive by it, you can't break free of it. You're still lingering. Sinful decisions can be traced back to faithless decisions. I want to just take a second and look at the decision-making process of these two men. To give you a little context, Abram and Lot are both coming out of a really rough season of life. We, we picked up this story by reading that they're leaving Egypt. Well, Egypt had just gone through a famine. Now, fortunately for us, living in America, we have no concept of how rough that could be to live through, to where your, your, your children do not have food. People around you are dying because they're, they're malnourished, and, and they, they literally physically do not have enough food. I've been to Africa a few times, and I've, I've seen little kids whose bellies are so swollen because they have nothing to eat. It is the most heartbreaking thing that you can imagine. Abram and Lot are leaving a season where they have just lived through a famine. Not only that, Abram is coming out of a really rough season where, out of a lack of faith, he, he, he told a lie about his wife, which put his wife into a precarious situation with Pharaoh, and, and it wasn't really the best thing, and he's now coming out of that, and, and they're leaving Egypt for this, for this fresh start, and I think it's so cool that even coming out of that, even Abram coming out of some bad decisions that he made, also coming out of the famine, which was outside of his control, you see, we, when we pick the story up, the first thing that Abram does is he goes back to the last place that he built an altar, and it says that he called upon the name of the Lord. Even coming out of a terrible situation, a terrible season, some of it his own doing, some of it out of his control, Abram comes back to basics. He goes to the last place where he built an altar, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. It's out of that time that he spends with the Lord that he is led to make the decision to leave it up to Lot. That is not something that you a natural instinct that you come to on your own when, when you're talking about your family, your legacy, the generations coming behind you. He's led by the Lord to leave the decision up to Lot. In other words, and, and, and you see from Lot's choice that there was a clear distinction between the two choices. One looked like that would be great, one didn't. You see by action that Abram was trusting in God and not what he could see. The difference becomes apparent when Lot comes on to the, to the scene. You read nothing about Lot going to the altar of the Lord. You read nothing about Lot calling on the name of the Lord. It picks up with Abram saying, hey, Lot, 
You can choose, and I'll take the other. And, and, and what you read is that as Lot looked around to his eye, it looks like this plain was good. It was well watered. It, was, it looked like fertile soil. It looked like it would be good for food. So, so Lot makes a decision not based on the voice of God, purely based on what he could see, what looked good to his eye. Now, we can, we can bang on Lot all we want, but, but when you put it in the context of the fact that he's leading his family out of a famine, you can kind of sympathize with the guy to think that when he's seeing something that looks like it would be good for food, he's drawn to it. So he's making this decision purely based on what he could see. Another thing that I can somewhat sympathize with Lot is that not only does it look good for food, but isn't it funny that the author puts in there that it looked like the garden of the Lord? There was something in Lot that he noticed that that looked like the garden of the Lord, but how many people know that there's a big difference between something looking like a God thing and it actually being a God thing? How many people, you desire something long enough, you want it bad enough that you convince yourself that you need it, and, and then you, when you start to feel desperate, you begin to reason and justify things that normally you would never even entertain, and then you start to convince yourself that that, that looks like something like I think God would want me to have, and, and so I, I, it, it looks like I think I'm just going to go for it because it looks like it would be good. There's a big difference between looks like God and is actually God. And Lot ended up learning this the hard way. Lot chose the land that would provide physical food for his family, but they would end up spiritually starving. He, he ended up choosing a piece of land that to his eye looked like it would always be fertile and ended up in a pile of ash because he made a decision based purely on what he could see. He made a decision for something that, that appealed to his eye but ended up being devastating to his soul, ended up being devastating to his family, ended up costing him everything. How many times has looked like gotten you and I in trouble? That looks like it would be fun. Yeah, we'll see how fun it is tomorrow. And we'll see how fun it is is that follows you the rest of your life. Looks like everybody else is doing it. You know what? That 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 looks like it would be a smart decision. That that looks like logically that 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 makes sense. Financially, I think that looks like it would it would solve it. You know what it looks like? I th- I think I would be happy. I'm pretty sure that's close enough to what I've wanted and what I've prayed for. I I think I'm pretty sure that that I would be happy there. I'm I'm pretty sure that I'd be happy with him. I'm pretty sure that I I, I would be happy with her. It looks like kind of what I pictured God would do or, or, or God would bring. God has never wanted you to make a decision based on what something looks like. See, Abraham wasn't making a decision. He, he didn't need to see it to believe it. Abraham was like, God, I just need to, to hear you. And so even when God asked him to do this illogical thing to say, why don't you leave the decision up to Lot? And even when Lot chooses the better side for himself, God speaks to Abram and says, don't you worry. Everywhere you put your foot, I'm going to bless. 
You look from the east to the west. You look from the south to the north. It's all going to be yours. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless everyone that comes from you. Abraham didn't need to see it to believe it. He just needed to hear from God, and he said, God, I'm going to trust you. When you, ba- when you make a decision based on what you can see, you are settling for an imitation of what God wants to give you. Lot was settling for a cheap phony of what God could have done in his life. When you, when you make a decision based on what, what something looks like, you are taking a, a quick fix as opposed to something that God is trying to build in you. A quick fix for something that God has been trying to, to develop, something that God has been working at, something that God is, 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 is molding inside of you. When, you. when you make a decision based on what something looks like, you are saying, yeah, I'll take the seemingly sure thing over making a decision that requires some faith but is backed by God. Do you know how many people I know and I've talked to that have made a decision based on what seemed like a sure thing, based on what seemed to be the right financial decision, based on, it, you know, it looks like if we move there or we move down there that with the cost of living being lower and, and all, just making a decision based purely on what they could see and they ended up incurring, incurring all of these hidden fees. It ended up costing them things that they, they never could have imagined because they were making a decision based purely on what something looks like as opposed to what God was wanting to speak to them and how the Holy Spirit was wanting to guide them and lead them. I don't know what your life has looked like at this point. I don't know what situations you found yourself in. I don't know what, what fees you've had to pay or you're, you currently find yourself in the middle of, but I want to give you hope tonight that God doesn't want you to continue to live making decisions based purely on what you could see. Like we talked about two weeks ago, the Holy Spirit wants to lead you and guide you in every decision that you make. You can't see the future. Not only can God see the future, God speaks things into existence. You may think you know what's best for you. God actually knows what's best for you. You, you may think you know what would bring you happiness. God wants to give you joy that never leaves. You may think you know what will give you peace. God is like, no, I want to give you peace that surpasses understanding, peace that goes beyond, on, beyond physical things, peace that goes beyond circumstance or situation. Why, why would we ever make a decision without him? Well, why, why would I ever get to the point where I settle back into making decisions based on what something looks like, based on something appealing to my eye? We start to, when you're married and, and you're leading you and your wife, when you have kids and, and, and you're leading your family, you, you now are entrusted not just with your life but with the lives of your family. How much more important now to want to, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in everything that you do? To realize that just because something looks like it may be good, just because something looks like it might make sense, if God is telling me not to do it, I'm not going to do it. And, and it's not that everything that looks like it would be good is bad. God has nothing against fertile soil and well-watered land. But, but Lot was more concerned with physical needs being met, with comfort being met, than the fact that he was moving his family into an area that was bordering the most wicked city to ever live. Lot got to the point where he was content with living close enough to it to then living in it to then raising a family in it. Man, God is saying, 
I want to lead you. I want to guide you. You got you to gotta change this decision-making process. You want to attack the sinful decisions, start looking at the, the faithless decisions. If we could just have faith to say, God, I believe you. I take you at your word. I know that you want what's best for me. So even if I can, if, even if I'm viewing something a certain way, God, if you're telling me to do something different, I'll do something different. God, if this is what you have for me, then give me peace, and we're going to go for it, and we're going to enjoy it. But, but God, I don't want to move until you speak to me. I don't want to move until you lead me. I'm going to have the band come up as I, I begin to close. I want to I wanna ask you this. Have you fallen into this trap of, of allowing the voice of God to become white noise? Because I do. I do. I find myself all the time falling into this trap where the cares and the worries and distractions of life, the good things, the bad things, that they can all just mount up in a way where, where God's voice becomes on plane with everything else and then it becomes drained out, drowned it out by everything else. And, and sometimes you, you, know, you start to ignore it with this and you start to ignore it with that. You start to make a decision without it. Then you start to really realize that it was even there to begin with. Have we allowed God's voice to become white noise? You know, when I'm, when I'm watching football on Sunday and, and something happens in the giant game and there's a flag and my kids are in there wrestling and making all kinds of noise, I'm like, hey, be quiet. I got to hear this. I need to know what's going on. Because I, I cherish the Giants game on Sunday. I do. I'm being honest with you. I love it. I love it. When something is important to you, when something is, is, is a value to you, you cherish it. You're willing to have everything else be quiet so that you can hear what you want to hear. Do we cherish God's voice in our life? And if you're like, you know what, I, I, I honestly, I don't know if I do. Well, how, how do you view God's voice in your life? Do you view it as this thing that's kind of boring or this thing that's hard to hear and so you've kind of given up? Or, or do you view God's voice as, this is here for my protection? Like, this is here for my provision. This is here for my blessing. This is here for my intimacy with him. If you begin to put in perspective the importance of the voice of God in your life, you'll begin to value it more, which will, which will lead you to cherish it more, which will lead you to make some decisions that, that maybe you need to silence some other things. Maybe you need to turn down some other things. Maybe you need to go find a quiet place and, and, and walk away from some things that have been distracting you and grabbing at your attention and, and having your ear so that you can come back to a place where you can hear the voice of God for your life. Like Abram leaving Egypt and leaving a, a tough season where he had made some bad decisions saying, you know what, God, I'm lost at the moment. Like I, I've come out of a rough season, but I'm going to go right back to the place where I last felt you and I'm going to call out to you. God, I need to hear you. And whatever it is that you ask me to do, even if it sounds crazy, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it doesn't look like it's a logical decision, God, I value your voice. And God goes on to just bless Abram in ways that don't even make sense because he valued God's voice. David says in Psalms, he says, keep trusting in the Lord and do what is right in his eyes. Fix your heart on the promises of God and you will be secure, feasting on his faithfulness. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life and he will provide for you what you desire the most. James 1.5 says, if anyone longs to be wise, ask God for wisdom and he will give it. He won't see your lack of wisdom as an opportunity to scold you over your failures, but he will overwhelm your failures with his generous grace.
Sinful decisions can be traced back to faithless decisions. If I really believed that God wants the best for me, I could eliminate so many dumb decisions. If I really believed that God meant it when he said, if you can wait on my timing, my timing is perfect, I would eliminate a lot of dumb decisions. If I really believed and took God at his word and believed that it was for my life, it was for my family, it was for right now, there's a lot of sinful decisions that would get wiped off the map because I'm, I'm making decisions out of faith. I'm believing that this is for me, that God loves me, that God wants to lead me, that God wants to guide me. When you make decisions for quick fixes, there are always hidden fees attached. When you make decisions based on pursuing things that appeal to your eye or what you feel in the moment or the, the urge that you have at the moment, there's always hidden fees attached. When you, when you make decisions out of faith and you say, God, I want to lead you, there's always provision attached. There's always blessing attached. There's always protection attached. There's destiny. There's purpose attached. I want to ask you to stand tonight as we get ready to go into a, a time of reflection real quick. You know, maybe you're here tonight and, and you're like, hey, I'm at one of those seasons of life where I feel like I'm in captivity. Like, I feel like the enemy's got me all tied up. I, I feel like I'm overwhelmed with everything that's coming at me right now. I've made some bad decisions. Maybe you're like, man, I never, nobody ever intends to, to mess their life up. Nobody, nobody means to do that. But we make some dumb decisions, followed up by some dumber decisions. And then before you know it, you're not just living near something, you're living in something. And then you're not just entertaining something, you're engaging in something. And maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, I've, I've made a mess of some things. Man, could I just tell you, could I encourage you tonight that, that, that just like when Abram heard that Lot was in captivity, that immediately he went and got the army, he went and he wiped out the enemy and he freed them. Do you know the Bible says in Romans that while we were still sinners, while we, our life was still a mess, while we had got ourselves into captivity, while we were in the midst of, of paying all of these fees, that, that Jesus came down to earth at your worst and he paid the penalty for our sins and our mistakes. He paid those fees so that you could walk free. He did it all so that you and I could just say, Jesus, I accept it. I don't deserve it. I made a mess of things, but God, if you can save my life, if you could lead my life, if you could, if you could pull me out of this pit that I find myself in, then Jesus, do it. I need you. I need help. All you got to do is accept this, this gift of salvation that Jesus has given you. I want to ask you tonight before we move on, if, if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes. If, if there's anyone here tonight that you just say, man, I, I've... I've lived a life of just making decisions based on what looked good. And, and I've gotten myself into some tough, tough situations. I, I've never had a relationship with the Lord. Or maybe I did it one time and I've walked away from it. And, and, and I'm just sick of living like this. I'm sick of quick fixes. I'm, I'm sick of making decisions that come back to bite me in the end and have, have just led me to more frustration and guilt and shame and, and, and just chaos. And, and if there is a God that loves me and if there is this God that died for me and, and he wants to lead me and he wants to be Lord of my life, then I, I'm willing to accept that tonight. If you're here and you just say, man, if this is real, I would love a relationship like that. If you're here tonight and that's you, do you mind just slipping your hand up? I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. There's hands up all over the place. You just say, hey, that's me. Like, I, I, I need that. If that's real, I want it. 
That's awesome. Anybody else before we move on? So awesome. You know, the Bible says, you can put your hands down. The Bible says that, that Jesus, he paid the price so that you could just accept the free gift. And so we're, we're going to pray together as a family. You're, you're around people that have had to make this decision too and have begun this journey to walk with the Lord. But we're going to just pray, which this is just the introduction to your relationship with God. It doesn't end here. It begins here. You get to walk life out from here on out in relationship with the Lord. But could we all just pray this together? Could you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. God, please forgive me of my sins, all of my mistakes. God, I put my life in your hands. I ask you to lead me and guide me into all of your ways and all of your truths. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, could you give it up for everybody that made that decision? If you made that decision, you're like, oh, that's nice. People are clapping. Can I tell you that the Bible literally says that when one person makes the decision to have a relationship with God, that all of heaven loses their mind. That all of heaven is looking down at 89 North right now, having an absolute party because people made the decision to have a relationship with God. Listen, if you made that decision tonight or, or maybe you're here and you could just use some prayer, you could use some encouragement. We got a prayer team along the back. And at any point in the rest of the service, if you'd like prayer, you can just walk back there. Maybe it has nothing to do with what we just talked about, but you could just use a hug. You could use someone just to listen to you and pray with you and encourage you. Our prayer team would love to do that. You can just make your way back. But for the rest of us here, man, I just want to give you the opportunity. I'm at a point where I'm just like, God, I mess things up all the time, and I'm so sick of making decisions just based on what I can see. God, I need your strength to always consult your voice, to always turn back to you and ask you your opinion on the situation. If you're here tonight, you're just like, man, I need that. I, I need to get better at listening to the voice of God. I just want to ask you to raise your hands. I'm going to pray over you tonight as we close out. Jesus, we just, we thank you so much for this gift of salvation. We thank you that as you go back to the Father, you sent your spirit down to earth to live inside of us, to lead us and to guide us, to be our comforter, to be our, our, our compass and our truth as we're navigating this walk with you. Jesus, I pray that as I leave from here, maybe I get tempted to make a decision based on what something looks like or based on what I can see. I pray that you'd give me a spiritual check inside that I wouldn't lean on my own understanding, God. I wouldn't make decisions based on what I can see with my eye, but I would always consult you. I'd always turn to you. I'd always ask you what you have for my life, God. I, I pray that when we're faced with decisions where what we feel like you're asking us to do doesn't look smart, that we would have the faith to listen to your voice and to be obedient. God, we thank you that you provide for your children. We thank you that you protect your children, Lord. We thank you that you bless your children. God, we love you so much. You are such a good father. We are so honored to be sons and daughters of you. We worship you tonight in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.